Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast. Hello. Before we begin, Seek Forgiveness is raising money for a book project, Mental Health Ki Hai, to raise awareness of mental health issues for Sikh and Punjabi communities, complete with translations. You can donate to the GoFundMe page and the link is in the show notes. So even if you cannot, please share it on social media and help us to tackle mental health stigmas in Sikh and Punjabi communities. In today's episode, we'll be speaking to Manpreet Singh, an activist and poet and trans man from California about his experiences of life, his poetry and art and his relationship to Sikhi. We also discuss what it's like to be from a Sikh and from an LGBT background. As a content warning, there's a discussion of sexual abuse and sexual assault at the beginning of the podcast, so please be aware of this before we begin. If you find it distressing, please do turn off and either come back to it later or seek support from your local support providers. Thank you. Manpreet, can you explain a little, about who, a little bit about who you are and, and what you do and just give us a bit of a history about yourself? And Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm a 24-year-old author activist artist i'm from the bay area in california i'm mm-hmm. born and raised here my parents are from um pakistan uh before the partition happened mm-hmm. uh, so it was technically all part of india at one point mm-hmm. um and from there uh they relocated to haryana and then from there they came to the states um all of my cousins are out here too so i don't really have a lot of family back in india um so i've just basically was raised here and when I was around uh, nine or ten years old I basically cut ties with my entire family Um, so I lost connections with all of my cousins even the ones in India Mm -hmm. and um, that happened because of rape culture um, because I came forward about what happened to me Um, and that happened what happened to me basically uh, I was raped by my my dad's brother and so that's why we had to cut all of the ties because nobody was really uh, taking my side and my mom was the only one defending me. Right. So my siblings and I were, um, my three siblings and I basically had to stay together in like a foster house um, until we were able to go back to our mom because the system uh, was literally against us and they blamed my mom for everything, even though um, she was the one who was trying to save us and protect us from everything. Um, so after that, I I literally was raised uh, by black parents and then I was I went back to my mom and then um, from then we just grew together uh, and that was my sangat my siblings my mom and my stepdad um, yeah. my mom got remarried when I was 15 um, then I started like uh, looking more into law and uh, sociology um, and then realized that you don't really make a lot of money with that. So I went to engineering because I'm uh, really good at math. And then um, I lost a lot of interest in, in that field because there were not a lot of gay people or a lot of people of color. Um, and mm-hmm. back then I wasn't out as a trans man. So I didn't see right. women at all. I didn't see people who looked, at, who looked like me. So I dropped out of school, uh, dropped out of college a few times um, to work in in different fields and the biggest field I was working in was uh, security and I did security right. for things like um, the Amazon data center and uh, tech companies like NVIDIA and I saw the same things that I was seeing um, as a college student which was like homophobia, transphobia, phobia, racism and mm-hmm. honestly like uh, I started transitioning and 
started growing a beard and um, nobody knew I was trans, but I heard so many things at work about trans people. And I just grew sick and tired of that. And then my last straw was when somebody at work started referring to me as ISIS as a joke. And that's when I just like lost it. And I quit my job literally like through a text message I sent to my boss. I said, I quit. I'm going back to school. Um, three weeks later, I was back in university and I found something called ethnic studies. Yeah. Um, and then I saw the option. There was an option where um, it uh, specialized in genders and sexualities in communities of color. And right. I was like, oh, my God, that's me. Right. Like I found a major that talks about people like me. And um, so I jumped in on that major and I took a theater class um, for one of the general ed requirements. And the teacher there actually referred me to her production called CSU Ferguson, which was about um, the social uh, justice issues that are going on in America that are about police brutality and um, immigrant rights and stuff like that. So we were talking about undocumented people. We were talking about rape culture. We were talking about uh, gay culture. We were talking about all these different things in this two hour long production. And right. um, it got so big that we ended up getting about fifty to sixty thousand dollars from the school to to perform in a different state um, in Washington. And then so that's what we did. And a few months later, um, I published my first book, Sing is Queer. And that was with the help of my older sister, who also had published before. So she helped me with all of that, uh, Ritu Kaur. Shout out to my older sister. Um, and then it was also my t uh, teacher who asked me one day and was like, hey, so when are you going to publish? Because your older sister did, but we want to see your work. And that's what kind of pushed me to do it because I didn't think my work was credible or good enough. But those pushes literally got me to put my work out there and continue mm -hmm. uh, working on my second book. And now I'm working on my third book um, alongside my second book. And now I'm working on a mixtape. So all of these people played a really big role in my life. And then I graduated like a few months ago with my bachelor's. Um, Congratulations. Thank you so much. And now I'm here, man, just trying to pave the way for uh, whoever else needs to hear that it's okay to major in ethnic studies, you know, like, um, yeah. and it's okay to pursue a bachelor in arts and be Indian because, or be South Asian or Punjabi, mm -hmm. you know, because we don't really hear that. We hear things like you need to be a STEM major, you need to get your master's and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's who I am. Wow. That's so, you, I mean, there's such a lot there to, uh, to how, where do I go back? Um, <laughs> no it, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. I mean, what, what was it like for you? Like, um, so like, I, I mean, I was going to make a joke when you were talking about like, uh, edu like when you were talking about engineering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you, yeah, you've got, you've got to go and do that. You're South Asian. You, you know, you said you're good at maths and stuff. When did you, when did you realize that like, um, actually, this um going into sort of the the other studies ethnic studies and so on and so forth were kind of what really what you were, what was calling out to you um the thing the thing that made me realize that it was calling out to me was um my rights as a human being um i yeah. was always forced into these situations where like people were actually talking about me without knowing that they were talking about me and mm. i would just be so frustrated at work because um I would hear things like, because there were trans people around where I worked, so I would hear things like, hey, did you see that thing with the boobs? Did you see that tranny? Like, I, was, I would hear these things from my, like, supervisors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I just grew so irritated and agitated by that because they had no idea I was trans. So if they knew, they would probably hurt me or kill me. And 
Um, that's how, because that's how bad it is. There's just a lot of um, crime against transgender people, even where I'm from, like in yeah. San Francisco, but that doesn't like mean that you're gonna not be killed. Um, like there, there have been so many crimes here, like well-known crimes, well-known mm. murders, well-known rapes that have happened against transgender women, particularly. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't really interested in ethnic studies because I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know what, what ethnic studies was actually. And it was through people that I learned about it um, and learned that there was an actual degree studying this type of work. Um, and once I realized that that degree existed, I hopped on right away because I wanted to change what I was experiencing and I didn't want other people to go through that um, kind of like harassment basically and um, prejudice and bigotry Um, Mm. and so even so I went that's why I went back into security I'm actually uh, still working in security but now I'm trying to do something where I can change the way that um, everything is structured and kind of take my power back as a trans person and um, um, have a say in what is diversity training in my workplace and things like that. Things I didn't really know before, but now mm-hmm. I know I can do. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to major in math. You know, I even got my associate's degree in mathematics and I, I really wanted to do something with math, but it wasn't enough for me because of my rights as a person. And my rights just played such a huge role in my life that I had to do something about it. Wow. So that's what I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you think do you think that like your um, your further education um, changed your perspective on Sikhism? Um, I think that it made me love my Sikhi more for sure. Yeah. Um, because we learned about we learned about diversity, we learned about cultures and genders and sexualities, and it made me love who I am even more because I was like, yo. Like, my people are about this. My people are about equality. And mm. we don't really, like, uh, theoretically, we don't care about gender or sexuality. We just care about oneness and, like, the soul and the spirit. And identity is nothing to us, you know? Like, we actually try to get away from that. And um, so it was kind of like learning how to... I kind of learned how to use the right vocabulary and things like that. And that's what kind of helped me uh, develop a stronger relationship with my Sikhi because I was like, wait, like, that's not actually Sikhi, but that's somebody's interpretation and they're just saying it because mm. this is actually Sikhi. And then, like, I would go a lot, I would go back to the Guru Granth Sahib Ji a lot and um, I would read a lot of the um, Angs and realize that, wow, like, the teachings that we're learning are not actually... Um, legitimate because there's they're not there's no parallel between these teachings and the Guru Granth Sahib Ji um so right. like I think my my education in university kind of helped me um with things like source checking you know just simple things like that because word of mouth plays a huge huge part in our culture yeah, and massively. Um, right so I feel like it really helped me with the research aspect of Sikhi and finding my place in Sikhi um mm. and developing a better relationship with it what did you what did you feel like your most significant um like insights were i feel that you mean like could you rephrase that question yeah so like your um like 
I suppose like what you're talking about is reading reading the Guru Granth Sahib Ji with a with a different lens, like right. or looking looking at it from a different like with a different pair of eyes, um, because you've obviously had the input from education, um, sort of, and some of that critical theory that comes through. Um, so I'm wondering what you thought were like the most um, influential things that you read or the things that really sort of um, struck you. Um, wow. That would be that would be a lot. Um, a lot of the things that I have, like like the part that I used to do as a child, um, yeah. I never really understood it, like the words. Um, I just understood that, hey, this is something that you need to do every day because that's just what you do, right? But mm-hmm. once I started rereading things with that different lens, as you stated, I kind of started seeing where the teachings actually came from in Sikhi. And I started seeing that, yo, like, some of these, uh, like for instance, Guru Gobind Singh Ji created the Khalsa and uh, Guru Gobind Singh Ji created the Panchkankar, you know, and Guru Nanak Dev Ji didn't though, right? Guru Nanak Dev Ji was all about the philosophical uh, part of Sikhi, like he didn't even, he, I don't think he even named it Sikhi. I think he just literally created this kind of religion where he was like, um, yo, you know that you can pray wherever you want, right? Because at that point in time, you couldn't pray unless you had somebody praying praying for you because you didn't have the power to like that's because of your caste, right? So yeah, there, yeah. there were there were a lot of issues with that, and I think that Sikhi is so complex that you can't just focus on one uh, one thing because every single guru had his own idea about Sikhi and he implemented it in his way. Um, and you see that a lot with each guru, even though it is the same religion, there's different perspectives being added. And that's why the Panchkan God was created by the 10th guru and not the first guru. And um, I think that each guru had to create something based off of his era. His era. Mm-hmm. And um, with that being said, like we can apply everything that we've learned from all 10 gurus to the time now because nothing has changed really. Like we still can't wear our turbans without somebody telling us to take it off and that's why the guru said hey you're gonna wear wear a dumala is because the king said yo you can't wear turbans unless you're a king so the guru was like hey man nah we're all gonna wear turbans because we're all royalty you know what i mean Mm. men and Mm. women and so that still applies present day where um i can't even at my job you can't you have to cut your hair and there have been so many times where somebody's like you need to you need to shave your face and one that's disrespectful because we were literally beheaded for keeping our gish, right? So, yeah. um, there's so like with that being said, I feel like the things that I do know now, um, mm. and because of my education at university, I am a lot more assertive about my sovereignty and my rights as a Sikh. Because before I wasn't, now I'm like, yeah, it's against it's against my religion to shave, and like I'll say things like, which I would not say before, I would say things like my people were killed and literally their heads were chopped off because they refused to shave. You know, whereas I wouldn't say things like that to my boss. But yeah. now it's like I have that, I feel like I have that power and that, um, yeah, that power and that drive to really uh, take up space, um, whereas I was afraid to do so before. And what do you, um, what's the reaction like typically when like you, when you share stories like that, when you try and give like a bit of a historical perspective as to why we do what we do and we um, maybe dress the way we do and so on and so forth. Like what is the reaction to that typically? 
a lot of people have when I've said it like that, they have laughed nervously because they don't know what to say. And then then they'll be like, oh, my God, I didn't mean like I didn't mean to say that um, in that way. Like they'll apologize. And I'll be like, no, it's okay, But just like be aware that, you know, there are different religions out there that practice different things and they have different histories. So like there's a reason why we keep our hair. You know, it's not like everybody has like to you. It's a look. But to me, it's a lifestyle. Like, right. so, and that's, and that's something that, um, that I've been able to do. I've been mm. able to teach these people, but, um, their reactions could be better. You know, they could ask better questions. They could, um, they could learn a lot more, you know, they could bring this up to other people. And that's what I'm hoping by, by teaching these people that they will, uh, one, check themselves and two, check other people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there's any sort of um, there's any sort of analogies or are there any analogs to sort of like um, with yourself being trans as well, like in terms of identity, like how important that is? Um, you mean like in terms of my gender in relation to Sikki? Yeah, yeah. I feel like there shouldn't be, but theoretically there shouldn't be, but Manif- like it's physically manifesting into so many problems for me, you know, like right. for instance, if you go to the um, uh, 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 Amritsar um, you can sit anywhere, left, right in the middle, man, anywhere, right there's mm-hmm. no gender like telling you where to sit mm-hmm. but then you come into the colonized lands of America, right, and they're like, hey man, or even the UK, I think I- I've never been to the UK, but I'm assuming go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a, on the left hand side, when you enter the Darbadha, the mess sit on the right hand side the women sit so it's like for people like me who are trans who don't identify as a woman and identify as a man or for gender fluid people who don't identify as either or for some people who identify as both or you know anybody in the middle where do they sit yeah where do they sit right and what if they don't look like quote-unquote look like they're supposed to and then they end up sitting on the opposite side like what does that mean right that shouldn't be revolutionary that should already be something that's accepted but it's revolutionary to do something like that. So, like, I think that, um, theoretically speaking, Sikhi is amazing, you know? But it has physically manifested into a lot of um, oppression for people who don't fit the cis-hetero norm. Like, yeah. if, you ain't, if you're not a cis-gender heterosexual man um, who keeps his gesh, right? Because you don't even have to be Amritari. Then you don't deserve power. That's, that's what it it always seems like no matter where I go, if I go to Gordwara, if I go to a Sikh uh, committee, uh, the last art show that I've gone to, the Sikh mm. art show that was here in um, the Bay Area, mm-hmm. I did not see one queer Sikh, not one. And I was the only queer Sikh there and I was the one buying things. That's really saying something because this is the Bay Area and we have more than, like California has, the, the total population of California is, the uh, equivalent population of the country of Canada. So that's really saying something, you know, that they're not including queer voices in their sick art exhibits. Um, yeah. And I even I even grew up with these kids, some of the people that were there. I grew up with them. I went to Gordaro with them when I was 10. Why are they excluding me? Why are they excluding people like me? So, um, yeah, definitely there have been so many problems. And do you, do you have, um, I mean, were you able to ask that question or do you have an answer for that? Why do, why do you feel as though you were being excluded? I can't answer that. Um, I can't speak okay. for other people. Um, yeah. I did post about it, though. 
I did mm-hmm. post it the next day and nobody reached out to me. Not one. And I know that that post went around. I know people talk. I know that they check my account a lot because there's not a lot of queer six out there, you know, and the ones that are open about themselves. I know people are going to check on them and check what they're doing because of the amount of anonymous hate I get, even on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and the, the tracker that checks how many people visit my page and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm just, I'm waiting for somebody to step up, somebody with power to step up and be like, hey man, um, you're right. You know, we don't create spaces for gay six or bisexual six or trans six. So how do we do that? That's yeah. what I want them to, uh, that's what I want them to do. Instead of assuming that this is how I do it, they should reach out to us and be like, yo, how do we help you? Because we're equal. That's all I want. I just want that equality, but that even that equality doesn't exist, right? Even yeah. that's asking for too much. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think there was something really interesting in what you were talking about. It's sort of like um, I guess it, it's like it's like you have a voice, but it's not being heard. And yep. that was that was really interesting because I think that leads us into the next bit, which is about um, like your poetry. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your poetry and and how that sort of started for you and I know you spoke a little bit in the beginning but maybe to go in a little bit more depth about um how your poetry it it's an expression of who you are isn't it so it's I'm wondering what it's like for you to write and what it's like for you to to put that out there and really get your voice out there um wow um for starters man I I started writing when I was nine years old nine or ten years old so some of my poetry and sing is queer is actually from that time there are poems from when i was a kid um and there i've made edits here and there but um i never thought that i would turn my poetry because it was just something that i would do in my um free time when i wouldn't really have anybody to talk to because like growing up i didn't see gay people and so the only person technically like quote-unquote person that knew I was gay was my journal and I would write poetry in there uh, um, and I still have those journals and I would talk about my crushes where I would like women and um, time like there was there were times where I would write stories about me as a male and um, it just became like my only safe space basically because I felt like I was crazy I felt like yo I'm in a nightmare I'm gonna wake up any minute now because according to these people I'm not normal because I like women and that's apparently not normally here because I didn't see people like me. Right. So that's what I was mm-hmm. assuming. And I didn't realize that it was like normal until I was like 14 or 15. And I finally saw gay people and I saw bisexual people and I saw, um, by curious people. And, um, I never met a trans person up until I was 19. Mm-hmm. And, um, meeting a trans person actually helped me understand that there are more genders but it still didn't help me come to come to terms with myself right so i i continued to write poetry until i was 17 18 not yeah mm-hmm. about 18 or 19 and then i just stopped i completely stopped until i was about uh 22 22 years old and that's when I went back to school and I took that theater class. And it was because of a project that te- that theater professor I talked about earlier, her name is Miss Filon. Um, mm. And she was the one 
who was like, hey, um, we have a project and you can either perform or you could write poetry or you could do this or that. And I was like, okay, I'll just write a poem. And so um, I came to class a week later with a poem and that's the poem that actually became famous and won a, 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 writing, a writing award from the uh, performance that we did in Washington. And um, it's, I feel like it's still being passed around um, by that? my what? teacher. What's it's that? called... It's called the interview, and you could see it on my uh, YouTube channel if you want. YouTube.com/singisqueer. Right. But um, uh, it's like five minutes long, but it basically talks about all of my experiences, kind of like mushed together as a as a trans person, as a bisexual person, as a woman, mm-hmm. as um, a person that survived rape culture, as a sick. I have mm-hmm. all of those things mushed together in five minutes, and it's called the interview. And basically, when I'm when I'm talking about it, I'm asking people, um, "What kind of person do you think I am?" Right? Like, and they have to. And basically, I don't want to ruin the poem, but they're they're just every time I ask that question, I I open up with another piece about my identity and my history, and then All I right. go back to that question, and so that's what that whole interview is, right? Um, yeah. And so um, after that, that's when my professor was like you need to write and she asked me so when will you publish the book like I mentioned earlier and then the director because uh, she was the director of C.C. Ferguson and then she had an assistant director Miriam, Huss- uh, Miriam and mm-hmm. Miriam was like uh, you got to pave the way you have to pave the way if not you then who right yeah. and I thought about it and I was like man do I know any bisexual transgender Sikh Punjabi American men out there that have published and you know I thought about it I said I was like <laughs> I don't, man, that sucks that I don't. I should know at least one, right? And I was like, damn, that really fucking sucks. Like, no, excuse my French, but wow, that yeah, really no, sucks, no, no. right? Yeah. And um, so then I published it, and I published it with the name that I came up with on my Instagram because um, of how political it is. Sing is queer. Like, Sing, this super supposedly cis-hetero guy, right? Like, that's what we think of when we think of Sing. We think of the super cis hetero yeah, the high, guy with big muscles right like the high, masculine. masculine yeah yeah right exactly and then queer we think of like me me i'm thinking of this super cool like queer person but um thinking from like a cis hetero, hetero lens queer they think weird they mm. think not normal right um taboo so sing is queer right it's gonna piss a lot of people off but it's also gonna grab a lot of people's attention um so that's why i did that because I wanted to make a political statement, and um, I named it that. And yeah, so I'm still writing. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, like I, I mentioned to you earlier in the in the chat before we before we started recording, that there were a couple of pieces that um, that I read through that really sort of resonated with me. And I think the the fir- I mean the first thing that I saw that really struck me because I looked through your page and I had, I had to look at some of the poems and stuff. The first one that really struck me was the, it's almost a blank page, but there's one line on it and it says, to be a Sikh is to be a feminist. And yes. I just thought that that's such a powerful statement. I thought it was absolutely wow. huge. Thank um, you. Wow, but thank it's you. A, but no, it's okay. <laughs> You're the one that wrote it. <laughs> I appreciate um, you though. It's so um, Because it's, it's such a contrast and a consideration to be taken against sort of, patriarchal norms in Punjabi yes. life so yes. it was, it's such a massive thing to say that and just to have that on its own and I thought that was just such a powerful 
powerful statement on its own, but like and to really sit there and sort of ruminate and think about it and go, okay, well, what does that really mean? To to yes. yeah, it, it took a while to get into it, and I was just like, well, actually, you know, that's that's the way it should be. We need to think about these things because I think um, all the tools are there for us to be able to sit down and think and deconstruct things, but we need to, we need the confidence, I think, to do it. Um, so it's good to hear, like, like you said, you, like earlier on in your own story, you're saying that you went back and read through things and yes. um, was sort of going back through and trying to, like, c- collecting and collating the evidence mm-hmm. to present. To, to present, you know, um, a different a different reading, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's really important. Um, and then the se- the second piece that really sort of struck me was um, democracy. Yes. Um, yes. And 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 going back through like the with I, I guess it, I mean it's it's a talk about um, the Western colonial imposition. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that's affected sort of the lands of the Indian subcontinent. And I think when you spoke about sort of your your family history coming from what is now Pakistan mm-hmm. and hearing about the sort of, or when we were living through the, the impact of colonialism through yeah. that, I'm wondering if you yeah. can just explain it, like, can you, can you expand a little bit about like what that poem is about? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, growing up, you know, I always... I was always confused as to why I was here. Like, I, I was like, wow, I'm in America. Like, out of all the cousins in India, I'm lucky. I got to come to America, right? That's what we think, right? Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's what we're fed, the American dream or whatever. We're fed, right? And so then I started taking these, these courses in ethnic studies because um, growing up, all I really learned about was the oppression that um, was faced by uh, mostly like um, Africans and enslaved Africans because that's a huge part of the history, right? This country was built on this, uh, the backs of black people. And mm-hmm. so that's all I really learned about. And because I cut ties with all of my uh, relatives, all my family, I was literally cut off of brown culture and brown people. So imagine growing up without brown people. That was me from like from 12 years old, you know, because I my first language was Punjabi. I learned how to write in uh, Gurmukhi and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. And going from all of that, almost taking Amrit, and then bam, I had to cut ties. And now all I'm surrounded by um, is people of color and different kinds of people of color. Um, and most of the people I grew up with were Mexicans, so I know Spanish. I took four years of Spanish, and I played soccer for seven years. And um, I played professional soccer for like four of those years. So mm-hmm. I was playing with all these people who only spoke Spanish. And my coach's name was Pollo. Like, that means chicken. Like, that's a nickname. You feel me? Like, we were, we were all, people would call me Portera. That's, that means goalkeeper, right? So, like, right. we were just, we were always, like, uh, speaking Spanish. That's it. So, you know, I kind of forgot some of my Punjabi. And then it started coming back to me when I started watching shows again. Shows yeah. again. And uh, I forgot Hindi. I don't really know Hindi anymore, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, you know, um, when I started taking those ethnic studies classes, I started researching more of our history and what happened to Punjab. And I learned so much about, uh, about it from uh, writers on Instagram. And then I started researching that, the, the terminology they would say, the laws that they would say, um, the history that they would say. And mm-hmm. after that, I was like, oh my God, dude, I don't even belong here. One, I'm on a lonely land. 
I was I didn't even ask the natives if I could stay on their land, right? Two, I'm not even from like the India that it used to used to be. I'm yeah. from and even the city that my daughter's from, they changed the name. Like where I'm from is back then, like back back then. So I don't even know. Like that's why sometimes I when I speak to my partner in my Punjabi, even they don't understand my dialect. Our dialects mm. are so different. And mm. they're from um and they're from uh, Lahore, right? Their their grandparents are from that part, and so okay. it's like, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like it just made me feel like I, I had an identity crisis, um, and then not growing up with black uh, brown people really really uh, played a big role in that because I was always surrounded by um, Latinx people and black people. So I didn't. Mm. So I speak when I speak English, people are like, "Why do you talk like that?" Like you know, and it's just like, what? Like wow, I grew up with these people. These are my brothers and sisters like I didn't grow up I couldn't I don't have the Punjabi slang that you have because I didn't speak that for 10 years mm. you know mm. so it's just things like that and they don't understand that and it's like well would you break ties with your whole family can I can I see that happen to you though like yeah, you know, yeah I don't yeah. want that to happen to anybody but would you break ties for your mom and for yourself for your mm. like would you do that would you close yourself off like that and recreate even though everybody is exactly where they have always been and you just can't go see them you know it's like are you willing to do that and they don't understand that that's yeah. the, that's the price that came with it it came with so many consequences and mm. i didn't choose to have that happen to me you know so it's like it's yeah, a battle it's, it's a constant battle it's something that's it's thrust upon us isn't it so yeah, yeah. I, I always I always feel that way um when I, when I think about other people like well, when I think about like myself and my family from the diaspora like and how we've uh, we came over from India um mm-hmm. I think it speaks a bit a bit about my story as well but um we'll save that one for another day today's about you <laughs> uh, what no I want to hear it I gotta hear this what do we, you we, mean we can we can have a chat later we can talk about it later but um okay, okay. so and and um I think the the second um the second poem was uh Sing is queer. Yes, that what that one really spoke to me. Um, in oh. and right at the beginning, you set out the, you put the five thieves out at the beginning of the piece, and mm-hmm. I think the thing that really struck me when I was reading that was um, you used the word Brahmatma, uh-huh. like higher self, and uh-huh. that really hit me. And I'm wondering if you could talk talk to me a little bit about that piece as well, like yeah. Um, wow, the piece where I'm just like, this thing is queer. Um, wow, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, a title piece, isn't it? It's the, it's the title piece from your book as well. So, yeah, yeah, that one I took, I for starters, I took forever to um give somebody a uh, give that title to a poem because it was so um, nothing fit for it to me. I was like, no. It has to be, it has to be a certain poem. And then when I finally wrote that one, mm. um, and I used Pramatma uh, because of my mom. She when she when she raised us, uh, she started basically she started um, teaching us how to do bot since I was like three years old, four years mm. old, and um, she would make us sit with her and recite Chopin Sab and when we were little kids until we got every single accent right and um she wanted us to be like 
ਜਿੱਦਾਂ ਕਹਿੰਦਾ ਕਹਿੰਦੀ ਸੀ ਸ਼ੀ ਵਾਸ ਲਾਈਕ ਯੂ ਨੀਡ ਟੂ ਲਾਈਕ ਜੋਰਨਾ ਵਿਦ ਪ੍ਰਮਾਤਮਾ ਲਾਈਕ ਥੈਟਸ ਹਾਊ ਸ਼ੀ ਵਾਸ ਸੇਇੰਗ ਯੂ ਨੋ ਲਾਈਕ ਐਂਡ ਆਈ ਯੂਜ਼ ਪ੍ਰਮਾਤਮਾ ਬਿਕਾਜ਼ ਆਈ ਬਿਲੀਵ ਆਰ ਕ੍ਰੀਏਟਰ ਹੈਜ਼ a feminine energy i believe our creator is a she and it makes more sense to me because it's always the feminine that gives birth in this mm. in this lifetime mm-hmm. um or somebody with a uterus right when we like categorize things into the binary male and female i mm. feel like our creator is a she or a they not really something that's masculine but something that's like a feminine gender fluid kind of kind of entity being mm. source creation right yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, light right so that's why i emphasize pramatma it's kind of like claiming that because every time people people talk about god they say he and i feel like we need to decolonize that patriarchal idea of if it always being a masculine source that's providing mm. something for all of us if that makes sense um no no it makes total sense it, it makes sense to me but like yeah. <laughs> For sure, thank you. Um so that's why I wanted to put in all five of the like evil things that we talk about in Sikkim, Krolobmo, Ankara, right? And mm-hmm. and I wanted to translate it so that um and kind of like bolden it so that like people could emphasize that these are the five things that they talk about all the time when they talk about like Narak and basically like being a devil right my mom says like i don't believe that there's a devil one devil i believe that we can all become a devil if or like a demon or like kind of evil if that makes sense but um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- that we manifest these that evil through th- through these things and they're yeah. all tied to each other um yeah like rage and ego could equal something else rage and lust could equal something else uh, lust and greed could equal something else like i feel like all of them uh when they're combined they're even worse right so it's like um it's the most evil thing that you could be and not one of them mentions that what it's called being like and not one of them mentions that you have to be lgbt to be any of these bad things because you yeah. can be a straight person with the worst rage the worst ego the worst lust the worst greed the worst attachment mm-hmm. right it's like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. trump for you right there dude right so um <laughs> <laughs> right so it's like that's why i wanted to um include that because mm-hmm. um our shitty guru grandsam ji has not once said something that excludes lgbt people um and that is literally the most holy um guru like to us because it includes the teachings of everybody including Bhagat Kabir and like mm-hmm. I like to emphasize that Bhagat Kabir is Muslim and that he is in that that sick entity you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. how like how could we not be coexistence if we are using people that are outside of our religion and outside of the normal quote unquote caste mm-hmm. right and things like that and um I feel like a lot of our history is erased and stuff. So that's why like I decided to also publish this book is so that people can say, "Yo, this is a trend because they always say this, right? This is a trend. Um yeah, this is a phase. Like this is new y'all are basically like this because of the west, things like that, but it's like, "Hey, listen, we've been here for over 4,000 years in India mm-hmm. spe- specifically, right? Mm-hmm. So um I'm just trying to document that I've been it's been 4,000 plus 
Yes, it's a plus because I'm right here, homie. Like, what's good? Think it's queer, right? Yeah, From yeah, the 2000s, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. um, and hoping that other people start doing that too, documenting because they've erased so much of our history. They've burned so many of our libraries down, right? Yeah. Um, so it's like it's our tradition, kind of, and it's like in us as six as students to leave this kind of legacy for other people to follow, um, whether it's like orally or whether it's through actual physical history. Right. And, and that leads me on to the third one, that I, the, the third piece that really struck me as well when I was reading through um, is freedom of expression. Yes. And I think this, this is, that's the one that sort of spoke out to me for, for reasons around sort of, um, sort of questions around sexuality. Um, mm-hmm. But that was, yeah, and, and it, I just loved the way that that was, uh, I think he used the flavours of ice cream as a, as, a, as a way of explaining binaries. Um, and I think, I think the way that you put it was as well, uh, you know, the binary option is vanilla or chocolate, but you realise mm-hmm. you've got mint or strawberry or banana or meat chop chip or, you know, I can't, I can't remember all of the, the, the way you write them, like tutti frutti and so on and so forth. So you have all these different flavours and you try and explain that, like, binaryism shuts off options and mm. it shuts off your I suppose your perspective or your way of looking at things mm-hmm. um but I'm wondering like what like I don't know if I've explained it but like I'm wondering how how you would go about explaining that poem and, and what that means for you as well um wow these are such great poems like thank you for what one for one thank you so much for um pointing these poems out I feel like they're so important I feel like you captured um the main messages behind my book and why I decided to put those specific poems in um because I try to make it an easy read but also Mm. I wanted people to be informed um and I feel like binary is in everything including me including Mm -hmm. me I'm unlearning Mm -hmm. this every single day right not everybody is perfectly quote-unquote uh, decolonized um, and there is so much unlearning that I've done where when I see people being binary I'm like oh my god like internally I'm screaming right but I have to understand that <laughs> because my because my experiences are so different um, it's, it's their norm okay mm-hmm. like it's their norm right yeah but as long yeah. as our norms can coexist and we're both we both can achieve equity in this situation, then yeah. it's fine. We're fine here, right? Um, I love so I love those words. I, lo- I love that that word equity. equity. I love it. Oh, for sure, yes. For sure, yes. Um, right? Equality is one thing. Equity is something else, right? Absolutely, absolutely. For sure. Um, sorry, sorry but, to cut you off there, but yeah. Oh, no, sorry. you're good. Thank you for pointing out all these, like, literally, so much is so much knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and vanilla and chocolate vanilla or chocolate you know Mm -hmm. either is fine but like we gotta make room for all the flavors hello you know Mm -hmm. we're we're humans man we are not like stuck on this one idea we shouldn't be that's not who we are if we were we would have never evolved we would have never made anything um and i feel like this is where this comes in because there are people who are physically not actually like they actually don't only have a penis or they only don't have um, a vagina. Like there are intersex people. There are people who 
who don't really fit into this norm, but like, um, they're they have invasive surgeries when they're kids, when they're mm-hmm. two, two, three years old, sometimes eleven months old, and their parents mm-hmm. consent to it, and like that's a whole another story, right? But like, and that's mutilation, I think, you know, because a lot of these kids grow up as this gender that they're assigned to, but they don't even relate to it, and yeah, yeah. Um, why do you, they have to fit that norm, right? Were you well, yeah, I mean, they have a they they have a gender construct that's like thrust upon them and, and mm-hmm. they have to yeah and it's they don't have a choice in that you know you you're sort of 11 10, 10 11 months old and then you have this surgery that is supposed to quote unquote fix something mm-hmm. that, that is that is again quote unquote not correct and then right. and then this child doesn't have any have, have any say in that and then they grow mm-hmm. up you know and and there, there could be complications as, as part of that surgery um they may have to take a HRT and so on and so forth as well in, in mm-hmm. order to fit this construct of, of who they who they are supposed to be, but it's not really who they are. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Well said. But like, yeah, I, I mean that 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 poem was so um, it was so succinct. It was just it was just nice to see it in. Um, it it was it was so simply deconstructed. And so well put together in that way that that, that really that's what really struck me. I was just like, oh, okay, like I get it. Like, how do you explain it as ice cream? Like, why? How have I never thought of it that way? But it was just, it was brilliant. I really, really liked that. So yeah, say thank you for that. Thank you, Jasper. Really appreciate that. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, how? Um, I mean, if we take take a step back a little bit from the poetry and that. Um, I'm just wondering, like, if, if I'll ask you two questions together, and you can sort of, sort of mix the the answer, I suppose. But I'm wondering, like, how is your how has your life experience impacted your mental health, and what have you learned from your experiences of life, and how have you, like, what are you, what are sort of the biggest lessons that have helped you cope with um, sort of any sort of mental health issues or anything that you may have had as a result of that. Wow, that's a very deep question. Um, that thank you for asking that. I feel like we don't really talk about mental health enough as people in general. Like even cis hetero people um, need to talk about mental health more. Um, and for for starters, you know, there's this huge taboo where like you're already mentally ill if you're gay, right, or bisexual, mm. or queer, or any LGBTQ plus, mm. and um, because of that, I never really uh, thought I was depressed, you know? I never thought that I had anxiety. Um, so growing up, I, was, I would hear about it. I would see a lot of it. I would be exposed to a lot of it. Um, but I never understood that I was also going through this type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and it, it came out in a lot of forms. I would overwork myself, you know? I would, I, in high school, I took... Uh, we had six classes, right? So I took, um, so my first period, oh my God. Okay, so I took physiology honors. Then I went to AP English. Then I went to AP Calculus. Then I went to AP Gov. And then um, it was Spanish four. And then I went to AP Statistics. So AP uh, is advanced placement and and it basically prepares you for a college exam so that when you take the college exam, you have units uh, like freshman units, so you don't even mm-hmm. have to take that class when you go to college. 
Um, right. Okay. So those were those right. Those were crazy. Like they raised your GPA. Those those it was those kind of classes. Um, yeah. And I took all of that and I overworked myself and I was playing soccer right at the same time. So, um, you know, and I would take the, I would have to take the bus because my I was poor. My family was poor, so um, transportation was like taking the bus and taking the bus would take an hour and a half to go to school and then an hour and a half to come back. So I don't know how the hell I did it, man. You know, I'd really think about it. And um, I was a depressed kid, you know? Yeah, okay. And, right, okay. Right? I'm over here not trying to think at all, right? Because by the time I get home, I did everything. I'm going to KO, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and that happened in college. I was working three, four jobs, and I was taking, like, 16 units, 17 units, and they were engineering units. They were calculus classes and stuff like that. And um, that even burned me out at one point. And then I, when I started working, at one point I was working seven weeks, seven days straight. And it was like 80 hours or something. It was some crazy number like that. Mm. And um, yeah, so, you know, I really uh, went through phases where when I was going through something really severe, I didn't want to think about it. And um, now I'm trying to seek help and I'm trying to cope with my um, anxiety better and my OCD better because it's so bad that like I'll be driving, you know, and the light is green and then I'll keep going. And then I'm like, oh, my God, was that light green? Was that light green? What's that light green? And then I'll look at my, my rear view and it was green because I could see it. And I'm like, oh, it's green. And I'm like, wait, is it really green? And I'm like, okay, buddy, like, what's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, your OCD is kind of like out of it. And it's because of your anxiety and like you need something to cope with it and you need something better, like whether it's like a walk in nature or like um, being mindful or, you know, things like that. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, I feel like as LGBT people, we're really prone to that because we're not allowed to exist in this world. Yeah. If we yeah. are, we deserve to die. That's what people think. Like, yeah. And we have to see that manifest in such a violent way, whether it be through people's words or actions or rules or regulations, policies, mm-hmm. like anything, right? Like I said, at work, you can't, you have to shave, but here I am, like, hell no, right? So, like, just things like that um, or um, being LGBT, nobody knows I'm trans at my job nobody not um the the only person i found out was my supervisor because they were asking about my absences from hella years ago they're like hey why were you absent and i had to tell them i was having gender reassignment surgeries so i had to be absent and i wasn't responding and then they were literally actually not gonna hire me for a position until they had that conversation with me and then they were like oh my god because they can't discriminate right so just things like that so um it's kind of weird, you know, having that this kind of identity and navigating through life. Um, because one, you could literally sue anybody for discriminating against you, right? If you wanted to, because <laughs> right, like okay. I, I could easily do that. But two, why the why the hell does your identity matter that much? Where you have to do lawsuits, man? Like that's that's what's crazy, right? So yeah, um, yeah. So I feel like LGBT people check yourself. If you're LGBT. You need to you need to talk to people that are LGBT. You need to go to GSA club meetings. You need to do yep. something where yep. you even online, right? Those, uh, but even that's like not safe because people can put your identity out there at any time. Or like, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of weird navigating things online sometimes. But if you could find like public figures on Instagram, even reach out to them where they can like tell you about resources or even like knowing they exist. You know, like yeah. it's just a lot to even have that kind of like. Um, even hope I want to call it hope because it's so hard like coming out for me was violent when I came out like I wasn't allowed to be who I am I had to work my way um, 
to be who I am. And there were times where I wanted to kill myself and I wanted to um, just or just move out and leave and never mm-hmm. come back and just things like that, you know. And it's because I was in violent situations and situations yeah. that threatened my existence. Yeah, yeah. What do, you, what do you think helped you through it? Um, I think my family um, mm-hmm. doing the work that they, because my siblings, they have supported me through everything, um, my transition. And they, even though um, they didn't really know anything about LGBT issues, they yeah. were still there for me since I was out when I was 16, 16 mm-hmm. years old, that's when I first came out as bisexual, right. and um, yeah, they were all there for me, my brother, my two sisters, but my mom was the one who had to unlearn things, and she ended up unlearning so much um, that she made a video with me t- telling other uh, parents of LGBT children that, hey, like, it's okay to have an LGBT child, protect them, love them, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with them, and they're not mentally ill, that's what she really said in the video, and you can see that also on my YouTube channel. That's amazing. Um, but thank you. Yeah. And she says it in Punjabi so people who don't speak English can understand, you know? And it's, yeah. I still have to translate that to English, but um, subtitles and stuff. But yeah, yeah. Um, it, for anybody who needs it, it's out there. And yeah, um, having that support is what saved me, you know? Having friends who knew I was LGBT and they didn't care, they didn't treat it like it was anything important. Because I don't want it to be something that's, it's important, right, but not in a way that matters in our everyday conversations where you Mm -hmm. have to be walking on eggshells with me, but you're also not being, like, rude or ignorant. So, like, it's, I don't want people to think it's weird, right? I want to think I'm still human when I'm talking to them. So having those kind of friends um, also saved me. And I went through a lot of different friendships throughout the year, so it's okay to have, like, different friends throughout the years you know it's like they're the ones who help you get through it though um Mm. and it's always good to have those support systems even my journal having that journal that's what helped me process that hey i was a traumatized kid because when Mm. you read some of my things it's really dark Mm. um and those dark things um kind of scare me like 10 year old me really wrote that that's really sad like um and i wrote something when I wrote something that uh, when I was 10, it was like kind of, I was trying to process what was happening to me, like the rape and everything. And I can like still remember the poem. It's memorized to the T and it's instinct, it's clear. And um, it's a really short poem, but that poem won an won a, uh, award when I was 11 years old um, by poetry.com where they would publish your, your uh, poem in a book of that mm. season. And my mom was so proud of me, but she didn't even know where that came from, you know? So it's kind of weird to be rewarded. It was like, to me, it was weird to be rewarded for for this trauma that I was writing about because, mm. you know, so like it's something to feel weird about. So, um, yeah, and she didn't even know that that's what I was going through at that time. She found out years later what it was exactly that I was going through. Um, so, yeah, it's just... It's just good to have all these places and things to have, uh, like non-judgmental zones to have. Because as soon as somebody judges you, you mm. kind of want to kill yourself. You know, you kind of do um, when you're already facing all these things in real life. And then 
you come home to an environment where somebody's like judging you you're like man do i even belong here do i even want to be here kind of thing yeah and yeah. so it's really important to have safe spaces even if it's a chosen family you gotta have it right yeah you gotta have the support networks for sure yeah yeah you need those things in place um I'm just I'm just aware that we're coming up to we're nearly, we're nearly at an hour, um, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I suppose oh, you uh, I've, I've got like uh, there's one more question, which is like, is there any wisdom you would like to impart on anyone? And and um and I'm aware that you just said like safe spaces is the big thing and having places to to air your voice and, and to really sort of be recognised as a human. So like I think they're the three major ones that I. That listening to to everything that you said today, that they're they're the big three big takeaways that I've taken away so far. But I mean, I'm wondering if there's anything else that you would like to impart on listeners, any other wisdom that you'd like to give them? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, the main thing that I want to say is just always be aware of your thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. Always be aware of where they're coming from, and if it's really who if it's really you who is speaking to yourself and not an idea that somebody created of you that's speaking to yourself. Always remember that. Be you. And if being you is too dangerous, Mm -hmm. then navigate. But be you. Because you will always be doable. Like, Mm. real talk, right? We're here for ourselves. We came to this world for ourselves. We will have to make a change, whether it be us. Because the change always starts with us, right? Whether it be us, yeah, the world, yeah. right? Mm. Because because all of us make a big difference, every single one of us. So if one person changes, you have no idea how that could change the world. It could change the entire world in such a way where climate change will just like never exist ever again. But you know that's what I mean. Like so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Just be you. Just be you yeah. and laugh. That's it. You know that's all we got. We just got this one life. We don't know how many days. You know yeah. people say you live till you're eighty, but we don't know that. Um, yeah. The average trans person lives until they're thirty. You know, so laugh a little, right? That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. Um, and just have be, these safe spaces. Yeah, be authentic and be yourself. Be authentic, be yourself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful being who you are. It is. Yeah. And and if you are the first person to be like you, then well, dude, great. Pave the way for the rest of us. That's mm-hmm. amazing, right? So um, that's all that I really want to say. And just be safe. Just make sure you're always safe and look out for yourself. Be your own best friend. Brilliant. Thank you, man, Bri. Um, Where can people find you? Oh, for sure. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, instagram.com slash singisqueer, mm-hmm. or Twitter, same thing, singisqueer. Um, you, if you need to email me, singisqueer at gmail.com. Um, and if you want my book, you can go on Amazon and just search singisqueer. Uh, you can get it on Kindle or you can get it on paperback. And it's in a lot of different countries, including the UK and Canada. So, yeah, y'all, get educated. Um, support artists. Support queer artists. Support queer sick artists. You feel me? So, yeah, that's all I got to say. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Okay, so that was our interview with Manpreet. I hope you've learned something. I hope you've listened. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Uh, we'll be back soon. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to donate to Sick Forgiveness, 
we'd normally ask you to donate at ko-fi.com forward slash six forgiveness for three pounds but we're currently fundraising for a book so please find the link in the show notes and donate at the gofundme page Sig Forgiveness have a target of £5,000 to reach in order to get this publication and all donations help. Please do share the link and donate if you can.